I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Line Podcast. Welcome back to Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. Today's gorgeous episode, I got to have my new friend, Miss Emily Rosen, on the program. Emily is the CEO of the Institute for the Psychology of Eating. Um, she is she's probably got one of my favorite personalities of any female, any human I've had on the podcast. She's she's hilarious. I really enjoy spending time with her. Um, she has like one of the gnarliest histories with eating disorders, where she had essentially like paralyzing eating disorders. Um, and we get into her journey of unwinding all that stuff, some of the associations of our relationship to food. Uh, usually, maybe always, it's not really about the food at all. Um, so we get into all things psychology and um, how that relates to food. Hope you love the episode. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can start the five-day movement challenge, start integrating the most optimal, that sounds like such cheesy nonsense, the most optimal, but really, I mean that, um, most effective versions of movement into your day-to-day. Um, as we are sitting in front of our computers, as we're driving in our cars, as we're traveling, all that stuff, um, those are opportunities to make your body function better. And that is what that five-day video thing is all about. So you can jump on there at aligntherapy.com. Thank you to Faraday's for supporting this podcast. Um, they are my favorite underoos, underwear. Uh, they're made of bamboo and spandex. They're all stretchy and good, feel nice. And then they got this silver-lined pouch around the general area to block EMF, electromagnetic frequencies and such, things that are emitted from your cell phones and laptops and all that. Um, and yeah, highly recommend checking those guys out. You can get yourself a pair. And when you do, use the Align codes. You can go to faradays.co, F-A-R-A-D-A-Y-S.co, slash Align and uh, get yourself a pair. Um, thank you all so much for tuning into, or not tuning into, leaving reviews on iTunes or any place. Love that. Uh, helps the algorithmic gods tell the universe that um, people are listening to this podcast and it spreads the word. All right. I think we're good. Thank you so much for tuning into this and the rest of the episodes. Thanks for spreading the word. Thanks for doing you. Uh, hopefully get to see y'all real soon. Podcast. How the heck long have you been out here? What are you doing out here? We're out in the uh, middle of goddamn I, Colorado. Oh, this house I bought four years ago, but I moved out to Colorado because I met a guy on Facebook. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> You're serious. Dead serious. Good. He what was gave, the circumstance? He gave good messages. <laughs> I found love on Facebook. Yeah, for sure. How do I lead with messages on Facebook well, for was, it to be successful? Was, yeah, that was, we'll get a home together in Colorado. <laughs> like, How do you build that up? This was nine years ago. <laughs> this was nine years ago, back when you had like 200 friends. Uh, you know, so it like actually felt like it was intimate. It was like yeah, it was really intimate. <laughs> and he was like looking at my pictures, and he was like, oh, because I lived in a up, I lived upstate. No, not upstate. I lived in. Are we recording? 
It's happening. No way. I swear to baby Jesus. <laughs> I hate you. We're in there. I don't feel safe. So. <laughs> this is not like. Oh, I can cut all this. No, all this, all this malarkey it out. Just, it's okay. Now yeah, yeah, I know yeah. you're not into consent culture, so yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, I was living in the Berkshires where like nobody it lives. So like, so this guy reaches out to me who I actually knew from the nutrition space. So if it had been like a completely like strange, I probably would respond anyways. Who am I kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to get them. Somebody loves me. <laughs> yeah, no, really. <laughs> My parents joke, they're like, what's Emily's type? And then they're all like, someone who likes her. That's good. And I'm like, great, that makes me look like a woman with standards. Um, so I'm like living in the Berkshires, middle of nowhere. My husband left me, um, like literally left me. And I get this message from this guy whose book husband, I've read. Did he ghost you, your husband? Yeah. <laughs> It was really traumatic, but it's okay. I've done a lot of therapy, so it's good I live in Boulder, Colorado. Good. And so he was like, who are you, and how do I know you, and do you want to come to Boulder for tea? And then I was like, you don't know me. Um, and I quoted my favorite Emily Dickinson poem from growing up, which was like, I'm nobody, who are you? You're nobody, too. It was very, it was very cute. And um, wow. game on. So six months later, he flew to take me out for dinner. But we emailed and messaged back and forth. Is this the handsome fellow I met yesterday? No. Oh. Nah. All right. That was so. I was with him for seven years, and we built the institute for the psychology of eating together, and we're still really good friends, like best friends, and we still co-own the business, and we have like a really beautiful transition, which I think is very rare in this day and age. And the cult stuff is separate from the totally the different. Institute. Yeah, I have like I ha and I have different I have different names for different. It, identities, I find mm. it's good to keep them separate. Oh, okay. Yeah, so let's stick with the Institute for the Psychology <laughs> Reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Institute for the Psychology Reading, that's, that's actually what happened. So I met him on Facebook, and uh, we emailed back and forth. When I came, I did this, like, romantic gesture, which is abnormal for me, and I put it all, like, I went to Kinko's, because, like, that's when you have to go place to print stuff, you mm. know? And I printed it, and I put it in a book, and it was 360 pages, like, Times New Roman, 10-point font, double-sided. Mm. We had written a novella, so we knew each other well. Wow. So it wasn't as insane, but it was pretty insane to move across the country, because I had, like, three jobs, and was relatively okay. What the heck do you do at the, at the Institute? What's, what's like the, what's uh, I do a lot of different things. I'm essentially like I do, I mean, initially when we started, it was just a very small team and we grew way beyond my wildest imaginations. We, we train people, but what I do is, you know, I run all of the operations and the marketing and the teams and I do some work in the content, especially the front facing content, but our main gig is certifying professionals mm. to really help people ideally before they slip into a really profoundly challenging eating disorder. So like we're in that gray zone in between, which I think for me, if I had gotten help there, I probably wouldn't have essentially had like a decade long struggle. And I remember, look, I was like, I feel really messed up in my relationship to food. And I went to a hospital and I was like, listen, like, I don't know what's going on, but I feel kooky. And they were like, well, you don't have an eating disorder. You have disordered eating and we don't have a program for that. And so when I met Mark David and he was actually helping people with the psychology of eating people kind of in that gray zone who like eat three pints of ice cream every night or like, you know, hate their body every day, but don't necessarily have a clinical disorder. And he was helping them. I was like, oh, I've arrived. This is perfect. This is exactly, you know, what I've been thinking needs to happen. And I haven't necessarily had all the tools and resources to make it happen. Hmm. So is there a consistent thread with people that have issues with uh, having control of their eating patterns? 
Um, I mean, I, I mean, I think the the consistent aspect of it is is that it's usually not a food issue, hmm. right? And most often, it's treated like a food issue or a willpower challenge. Like usually, there's a very legitimate reason that someone eats three pints of ice cream every night, or like after work every day finds themselves in their car eating four bags of chips. Like so, there is usually some connection either to their past or how they're relating to their life now, like withheld trauma, or um, you know, there's usually something around their nutritional system where like they might be macronutrient deficient, and so yeah, that. that that's why they're overeating, but that tends to be a much smaller percentage of why people struggle with food and body. And I know that was the case for me. And we, tr we often try to like reduce it down to like people with anorexia tends to have a control issue. People with bulimia, they tend to have trouble speaking their truths or have repressed rage and stuff like that. And I kind of get wary of those boxes because anybody listening to this can quickly be like, well, that's not me or they can't help me. So a lot of what I do is I share like my personal stories and the connections that I drew from them in order to help people kind of do that for themselves. Like I'd rather much rather teach people how to think than solve their problems for them because yeah. new things will come up, you know? So a lot of the traditional kind of ways that people deal with eating issues or, you know, eating disorders is like, yeah, some talk therapy and then usually some control of their, how they're eating. So if they're bulimic, they lock the bathroom doors or if they're anorexic, they might force feed them which usually doesn't address the core reason that those behaviors present in the first place. And so people leave treatment and come back in six months mm. often or leave treatment and, you know, end their own life because it doesn't feel like particularly enlivening to live a life where you're constantly modulating the one thing that gives you life, which is food. And so it's a challenging one because in a lot of the other traditional kind of like addiction paradigms, you can give up on heroin for the rest of your life and you'll be fine. Probably better. You know, you can stop right. drinking, but with food, um, you have to learn how to relate to it differently. Hmm. Is yeah. there any consistency with like birth trauma type stuff, childhood developmental type type patterns that you see? Um, you know, I worked, uh, in corporate weight loss for eight years. So kids ages eight to 18 and, um, there tended to be, uh, something extreme they were reacting to in their home environment. Um, these kids were like eight years old and 400 pounds. So extreme Whoa. obesity, often on four to six medications already, like 16 years old and on anti-anxiety and anti-inflammatory. I mean, just insanity. And oftentimes their home environment, uh, there was a lot of neglect hmm. or, you know, I mean, it's hard to right. use the word neglect and, and there's a spectrum of neglect, but like maybe not enough attention or nourishment of other sources, right? Like, so if I'm not my mom, like if I'm not getting my mother's love, um, I might try to nourish myself with food, things like that. Yeah. Um, oftentimes parents who were very rigid around food, like extremely strict, like didn't want to have a fat child, their kids would get very large and rebellion to that. So it tended to be either like their parents would shower them with food as a way to kind of celebrate them. And so they developed this relationship with food where they like, you know, that was love or there was a very strict and kind of austere home environment that led them to kind of find joy and pleasure in food. Um, there's also a very strong, consistent correlation between sexual trauma, sexual abuse, feeling sexually unsafe, and weight gain. And that's probably one of the most consistent that I see. And even weight loss resistance much later in life because a lot of people will be like, well, I know what happens when I look fit and healthy. Like I get attention. I don't feel comfortable with that attention. So even though one part of their brain is like, I want to look sexy and I want to lose weight so I feel good in my body, the other part of their brain is going danger, danger, danger. And so their their weight will just completely like lock or they'll continue to gain small amounts of weight even if they reduce their calories to six or seven hundred you know a day because there's a low-grade stress response happening all the time because they're at war in their own psyche mm. 
Is there any like manual therapy approaches or somatic therapy, like movement type approaches to start to innervate the nervous system in such a way to get them out of that pattern? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because it's something that I've been exploring more and more. I was like profoundly disembodied. And so it was never that interesting to me. <laughs> like in some way, I was right. like, what are you talking about? You know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, even with people with sexual trauma, like you could do talk therapy to their blue in the face, but then as soon as, you know, someone comes to touch your body, like there's a whole nervous system response. Uh, I think dance, uh, breath work. I mean, dance can be hard because someone doesn't feel good in their body. It's kind of like the chicken or the egg. It can be really challenging for them to be like, yeah, great. I'm going to get up and move my body with other people. Like you're out of your mind. Blindfold can be helpful. <laughs> Blind. Yeah. It's a real thing. Well, I know a lot cool. of people like, like big, one of my good buddies, Kyle Kingsbury, that's been on here and I've been on, he's part of like the on it reality. Um, he's mentioned to me being really insecure with like dance specifically. Fun. And then he did this like ceremony thing with another guy, Porangi that people know from this podcast. Um, and they put the blindfold and it was like, it was really like a moving experience for him because then they finally took the blindfold off and he's like, I'm a dancer. <laughs> And he's like, well, I love that. I love that because I think like a lot of our associations with dance, like at younger, especially females, like growing up, like men, it's like, that's for girls. Right. And then for girls, it's like, there's a mirror and it's very body conscious. You know, I was a dancer for years. It was like, I looked at myself and compared myself to women all day. And my dance teacher did the same thing. So it's just like not fun. Mm. Um, and then as you get older, oftentimes dancing is linked to like sexuality. You know, like people like being sensual or sexual or like they might come up and start to move towards you. So it can feel very scary for a lot of people. So the blindfolding thing I love because there's something really unique about dancing with others. Like, yeah. you know, dancing by yourself in your room can be fun, but there's an energetic that happens when there's like a bunch of people doing something with you. Um, so I imagine that would be highly effective. I haven't personally experimented a ton with that. Uh, there, the breath work is huge. I mean, oxygen is the number one way in a lot of ways to help people raise their metabolic rate, but also puts them in a, you know, a sympathetic dominance. A lot of what we do with people just on a behavioral level when we're starting to work with them is most people who struggle with food tend to eat really fast and mm. kind of stressed out around food. Um, especially people who have like a fear of weight gain, oftentimes when they sit down to a plate of food subconsciously, they're relating it to it like the enemy. You know, like this is the thing that makes me fat and this is the thing that I might not be able to stop myself from eating. So there's like already this stress response, which we, you probably of course know this, that it like, you know, lowers your ability to digest that food and assimilate the nutrients right. from it, all of that stuff. So just some simple, um, you know, practices of six to 10 long, slow, deep breaths before a meal. We have people come back after a few weeks of doing that and they've lost like 10 or 15 pounds. Wow. Um, because they're more relaxed. They're also more present. There's something called cephalic phase digestive response, which is the head phase of digestion. So in scientific research, about 40 to 60% of your digestive capacity at any meal comes from that. And the head phase of digestion is taste, pleasure, aroma, satisfaction. So a lot of people, when they're eating and they're driving or they're not present to their food, they're just not optimally digesting. So they'll end up being hungry even after a big meal. Their body won't know how to fully process everything that they're consuming because we didn't even give them the chance to like look at it and smell it and enjoy it. So um, some simple behavioral shifts there. And then uh, breath work, especially to people who are very large and have trouble moving, can be a great way to help them become more embodied, uh, become more relaxed, become uh, and, ha and actually have a better uh, metabolic rate. Hmm. Um, 
I'm aware that you mentioned birth trauma and I didn't address it. I don't feel like I have enough information about that. I do know, you know, I was raised extremely alternatively. Like my parents were macrobiotic and chiropractors. I was homeschooled most of my life. I had a very like pristine um, environment, a lot of those ways growing up and even how I was born. I was a home birth, you know, things of that nature. And I do like people will point out things like my teeth, right? Like I never had braces or anything like that. Like I do think in utero diet has a huge impact on the child. Um, I also think the way the mother was, and in my life, I can make a very strong correlation. You know, I have a younger sister. My mom was still in chiropractic school when she got pregnant with me. So she was studying to like pass her exams and she really wanted her pregnancy to be perfect. And she really wanted to give me the best chance she possibly could and wanted to eat the best foods. And I'm neurotic and driven and like very much like, I'm very much that person that my mom was when I was in utero. And my sister, four and a half years later, my mom was like, I've already done this. I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to have fun with this pregnancy. Like very, and my sister is that person, my sister. So I don't know. I mean, I haven't, and I, as I talk to other friends of mine, there seems to be some correlations there for sure. And my sister had a beautifully seamless birth. Mine was not so much where my, well, I, don't, I shouldn't say seamless cause that my mom would probably smack me for saying that, but she's like, it hurt, but she was a, ba- a water baby and, um, like born in actually like a cow trough and she's kinesthetically gifted. Hmm. Like there was this like ease that she has around like trying new physical experiences. Whereas I'm like highly phobic, I'm counterphobic, so I'll do it anyways. But like, I'm like, why are you doing that without having all of the information and the potential challenges <laughs> in the future laid out? Like, you know, and my sister's like, we'll figure it out once we're in, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and, and that relates very much to our relationship with food. Like if I set my mind to eat a certain way, I'll die trying. Hmm. And my sister's like, yeah, I'm not going to be told to do. <laughs> like, I'm going right. to eat how I want, you know? The reason I asked about the birth, the birth stuff is, is I've heard you mention on another, another place that you had asthma growing up. Yes. Um, and that's asthma sometimes correlated with like disrupted heart rate variability and kind of like dysregulation mm-hmm. of the nervous system. And if you can start to regulate or balance yeah. that nervous system, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, the breathing's improving as well. And so I just wonder if there could be some type of thread from there into, oh, this interesting relationship with food. Yeah. I, I, that makes perfect sense to me. I don't know enough about it. I don't have asthma anymore. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, or do you have an eating disorder anymore? I don't have an eating disorder anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, the, and even with the asthma, the, the only time, time it gets activated is around extreme allergies. So I have like a pretty extreme cat and horse allergy. And so I can feel it coming on when I'm around like something that I'm, or like if I'm in a house with like mold and dust and dander and like, you know, things like that, I can start to get that feeling, but nothing like I did as a child. And my parents never gave me an inhaler. They did like ginger soaks on my back of like, you know, I had a very, um, I think, and I, and we saw this in the weight loss camps because I, because I came from a macrobiotic background, which was very anti-dairy. I'm not so anti-dairy anymore. I'm actually just not really anti-anything food wise. Like a lot of my healing around it has been like, what works for you? <laughs> and then like, let me just reserve judgment. Is it working? Um, but a lot of the kids who had dairy, when I took dairy out of their diet, their asthma went away and they were on like nebulizers and like very intense medications and taking an inhaler like four times a day. Mm. What does um, a nebulizer do? Uh, it, it looks like, I don't know. I just like, it's, <laughs> it's some crazy shit. It's some crazy shit. Yeah. It's just, uh, <laughs> it, it makes weird noises and has kids look like they're going to sleep. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> yeah, no, it was just like, they were, they were treating the symptom without like at all. I mean, this is so typical, right? Like treating the symptom without being like, 
why does my kid all of a sudden have asthma? And like, oh, they drink two gallons of skim milk a day, which is very common in the weight loss space that you see kids drinking large amounts of fat-free dairy or consuming a lot of fat-free dairy and artificial sweeteners. So like a lot of what I do is just be like, "Um, maybe we don't have fat-free cottage cheese with four packets of sweet and low on it. Like, let's try something different. Um, And they're like, my kid's also healthier. This is amazing. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing to you. Like, you know. The the breath practices is the emphasis on the breath out because that's, you probably already said with like the breath out is, is associated with, uh, upregulating the parasympathetic, like yeah. kind of like the rest, digest, relax part, or is it just like take a breath just as a means of kind of yeah. gathering yourself? No, I mean like, so, uh, I tend to, I tend to teach it, you know, in through your nose, out through your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends on the person. Like I have a bit of a Kundalini background, so like oh, alternate cool. nostril breathing, or I mean, I don't tell them like sit up at the table and do breath of fire, right. you know, like, um, but I grew up in that discipline cause my mom was a, a student of Yogi Bhajan. And so, um, you can get fancy with it. A lot of what we train our students to do is to resource their training. So if they like have a yoga background or, you know, but it's, we try and keep it very simple. Like we don't want them to get stressed out about how they're breathing. Like for most people, just breathing in and out, um, is huge. And some people can't breathe in through their nose because it's too stuffy or like, so I just kind of work with them where they're at. I'd imagine when you started, whatever the start was, maybe like past lifetime, whatever, but when you started with the, the eating, disorder. Um, I wonder, was it like a slippery slope that started off quite like healthy, normal, or was it? No, it was pretty distinct. So I was homeschooled up until high school. I went to a small private high school and, um, I was more than prepared academically. And in some ways, you know, I had social interaction growing up uh, quite a bit. Uh, A lot of it was with adults. So I didn't have like a a big differentiator, like, oh, I'm a kid and you're an adult. But I did dance and I did activities. So people are always like, kids are homeschooled. They're not socialized. And I'm like, that's just a choice. Um, But I've always been more of an introvert and a recluse. So like, even if I went to school, like I would go and then draw by myself for six hours. Like I never was... I've never been highly social. Um, But when I went to high school, one of the, I think where it really started for me was um, I had a couple girlfriends that I was really close to and a couple guy friends that I was really close to. I was profoundly terrified of sexuality or like guys Mm. giving any attention in that regard. And I had an experience where um, two of my girlfriends, two of my guy friends, like at different points had asked me out to hang out or, you know, date or something of that nature. And they land up dating my two best girlfriends and my two best girlfriends forbid them to talk to me. And then they stopped talking to me. And so I lost my like core group of friends Mm. and I didn't understand it. Like I couldn't, my mom did not, I didn't grow up with like TV or magazines. Like I thought people said what they meant. Like it's so funny now because some of the work, a lot of what I'm known for is like being authentic. And I didn't even know that was like a thing to be. Like I just thought that's what you do. Like I want you, I would go up to you and be like, I want you to be my friend. Like I just, (laughs) who are you? Like I didn't, I didn't didn't understand that people like play these games or like, I remember in high school going up to a table and then being like, this is not your table. And I'm like, where's my table? Like not getting that it was like, this is not your table. Like you're not cool enough to sit here or like, you know, meet me at the mall at 4 PM. And I would go to the mall at the kiosk and wait for like three and a half hours and nobody would come. And, um, uh, I just didn't, I was like, I kept having these like moments of like, are they intent? Like, and I, I just like couldn't understand the, the mentality that you would do that to have me sitting there to wait and hurt. Like, I just, I couldn't connect those dots and I didn't even know how to speak about it. Hmm. Um, all I knew is that like, 
like my world started dimming, you know, and I also went through puberty. So I had like gotten breast and my body was bigger. I'd been very, very slim growing up and I lived in Spain for a summer. So I put on like 15 or 20 pounds in a summer. And so I told my mom, I wanted to like lose some weight for my graduation or like it was maybe, or maybe she was going to wait. Somehow I landed up at Weight Watchers. Um, but it was around the time I was having this kind of like these really challenging social experiences and like really baffled and hurt. Um, and I, I am very achievement oriented. I like to like do the very best I can, no matter what. And so like, I think Weight Watchers at the time was like, you get to eat like 21 points a day. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to eat 18 and I'm going to eat 16. And like, for some reason in my mind, you know, eating less, like continuing competing, eating less, like felt like I was winning. And also like anybody, when you first start to lose weight, you're like, Oh, what's going on? You look great. So I'm getting outside validation. Hmm. Um, but I wasn't like really overweight at all. I mean, I definitely had put on some weight and I just kept dropping weight and dropping weight. I didn't even know I was anorexic. Like I didn't even know, I might've known the term, but I didn't identify that way. And I went off to college. I remember getting clothing before my summer for college. I was so hurt by that time, the summer before college, I got in my Jeep Cherokee that I inherited from my father and I drove around all summer. I didn't talk to a single person and went to, and did painting and drawing and like, was like, I'm going to go start my new life in the fall. But by the time I went to college, I must have been, I mean, I'm five, five. I was well under a hundred pounds. Like I went to the store to get like jeans for college and I put on like a double zero at guess and they couldn't stay on my body. They just fell off. Um, and I had no, when I looked at myself in the mirror, I didn't see super skinny. But what started happening is I started to grow fur on my arms and my hair started to fall out. Like I would be in the shower and I had like really thick hair and I'd have like handfuls of hair. And and I was like, okay, something's wrong, but I couldn't quite figure it out. And then unexpectedly my best friend passed away. Like his heart just stopped. It was like 18 years old. I was like 18 or 19. And he stopped, his heart stopped during a period where we weren't talking together because like he had gone off. There was like a whole story around this, but it like shattered me. And that night I ate for like eight hours. Like I went, like I was, I remember being in the college dorms, like going down to the vending machine, like ordering everything in the vending machine. Like I just like couldn't stop eating. (laughs) And very quickly in a matter of a month, I put on 30 pounds. Like I never got treatment for anorexia because the trauma and the shock of that just sent me into this, like I just binged for months and then I put on a lot of weight and I didn't like that. And I started going to aerobics and the aerobics instructors actually taught me how to be bulimic. And then the bulimia was the hard one for me to really let go of. And I struggled with that for about eight years. Yeah. The reason I ask is I wonder for people listening, if there's some type of indicator, red flag for people that are close to them that it's like, Oh, they're like just really into diet and fitness, but like maybe it's actually getting to be yeah. like dangerous. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's more common than not. Hmm. And I think even people who don't present as like having massive weight, like underweight or massively overweight, a lot of times those are the people that are most challenged around food. And, you know, orthorexia, I have mixed feelings about that as a diagnostic term, which for people who are listening who might not know is, you know, when someone people, when people have an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating, I think we live in the capital of it, like being in Boulder, Colorado, uh, where you can get kind of rewarded for it. But for a lot of people, it becomes so debilitating. They don't leave the house. They can't eat out with people. They like punish themselves when they eat like a non-organic oil. There's like that version of it. Um, I think a lot of times if there's a correlation between some type of emotional event and a drastic shift in eating, Hmm. um, getting someone's support around that, you know, um, and not around the food, around what happened. 
Uh, I think a lot of times people, I mean, my whole family, my parents are vegan. So like, you know, like I think a lot of people are vegan for ethical reasons or health reasons. And I'm like, I have no issue with that. But a lot of times people will label themselves as vegan or, um, certain food restrictions as a way to actually not have to eat around people. So like if your kid all of a sudden, like very common girls, 14, 15, 16, they'll come home like I'm vegan and they stop eating dinner with the family kind of thing. That can be a bit of a red flag. But, uh, you know, type A people will tend to, you know, anorexia and type A goes pretty well hand in hand. Um, (laughs) And it's a harder one to get to because like when somebody's in that place, there is a sense of kind of euphoria and austerity. Like I don't even need food. It can be a very like untouchable feeling. Whereas bulimia can tend to feel more out of control and violent and your cheeks will start to swell and your eyes will get bloodshot. And there tends to be more like negative and I'm doing fear quotations, which nobody here can see. Um, <laughs> neg- I saw it. You saw I appreciated some it. negative kind of <laughs> physical ramifications. So people will be like, oh, I want to get rid of this because, and there's less support in the eating disorder communities, like in the pro Anna. So like people who are pro anorexia, like girls who kind of bond over their eating disorders and compete about who can eat less. Whoa. There's a ton of support for that. Whereas bulimia tends to, and these are gross generalizations for anybody listening, who's going to send me an email clarifying that, (laughs) um, you know, there tends to be more shame around bulimia. I mean, there are bulimia parties. Like there are girls that will get together, eat a bunch of pieces together and then throw up in trash bins together. But that is much much smaller than the amount of women who will come together and collab, like, you know, share tips of like, oh, if you drink a little bit of baking soda and hot water, and like, if you do this, you'll get nauseous and you won't eat. Like, there's just much more support for the not eating mm. than the binging and purging has been my experience. Um, so, uh, the bulimia tends to be a little bit easier to spot, uh, rushing to the bathroom after a meal, really puffy cheeks, uh, like any kind of blistering or cuts on the knuckles or fingers, uh, like lips split, you know, eyes bloodshot. What's the fur part? The fur part uh, is usually for anorexia. The body will start to compensate by growing extra body hair because it's so cold. Your weight drops so much that, so, I mean, you can look this up, like you Google like images for anorexia, you'll see like you start to literally your arm hair gets thicker almost like fur. So your hair will on your head will fall out and your body will grow more hair to keep you warm because you tend to get really, 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 really cold. Hmm. David data. You probably know him. I bet I do. Yeah. Uh, he talks about, uh, something along the lines of like sexual repression and, and food being kind of like a sensual relationship. And yep. sometimes you can be binging because of a lack of that aspect of your life being fulfilled. Yep. I'm sure I'm misspeaking in some way, but I don't, yeah, I don't know his direct quote on that, but I do know that sexuality and food are profoundly linked. I mean, if you think of it just like at a base level, like food and sex, that's what gives us life. So it makes sense that there's like correlations, like without sex, we would not have more of us and without food, we'd die right eventually. Mm. Um, so I think there's like their, their life energy. And I, if you think of it, like and relate to that, like there's like a potency there. Um, like your food becomes who you are. Like when somebody has sex, you have the potential to make another person. And I just like to give the gravitas like a little bit away because I think culturally we kind of relate to the two things like, oh, I just had sex with this person or, oh, I just ate that. I'm like, yeah, but like over time that shit becomes you, you know? Um, so a lot of times, um, when, so I, the, another gross generalization in my experience, women tend to use food like overeating to fill up, to have a sense of being filled up, which makes sense because if you're having sex with a male, you're, you're, he's entering you, you're being filled up with that energetic. Hmm. Um, men tend to use it to check out. 
So men will be like stressed out or have unmet needs and they'll eat a lot of food because it like gives them a feel good feeling during the process. And then they're just kind of out of it. Um, Women, it would just give them kind of like can tend to be like more of like a nourishing. I mean, think about food commercials for women, like in a Dove chocolate commercial, women's like practically making love to a square of chocolate. You know, she's like her hair's blowing in the wind and she's in a bed (laughs) eating like one little square of chocolate. And I'm like, yeah, no woman ever has done that. But I mean, maybe like 17 chocolate bars and like... (laughs) you know, a glass of champagne. But anyways, so there's like, we we know that. I mean, the the thing about advertisers, like the smartest psychologists of our times, the most high paid ones are working for the food industry and commercials and things of that nature. So you want to see how people relate to food and people like, well, that's, they're, they're tricking us. And I'm like, no, there's like, there is hard wiring there you know, that, that we relate to, like food gives us pleasure. You know, if we're not getting any other pleasure in our life, like pleasure is a vital nutrient. We are all hardwired to seek pleasure and avoid pain. (laughs) If we are not getting it through touch or sensuality or great relationships, like a lot of us are going to reach for the closest approximation. There's a term for it called symbolic substitute. So when the, when you can't get what you want, you'll reach for the closest approximation for a lot of people. Um, it's probably more women than men, especially because women will create a dynamic with food where they're like, it's kind of push pull. If they're not getting nourished and they're not getting their needs met and they're not having pleasure in their life, it's one of the quickest, easiest ways to get pleasure. And especially if you have sexual trauma, or you don't feel safe. You're like, I'm not going to bring some weirdo home to massage my shoulders so I don't need a bar of chocolate. Like, what are you talking about? That That's my go-to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and get I... Get out of my head. <laughs> like, come on over. It'll be great for me. Um, I, you know, and I'll work with clients. I mean, it's so interesting because... You know, when you work with people, you get to really like see the spectrum of what people find safe and not safe, you know? And so for somebody who, and it's not uncommon, I mean, I, it's not uncommon in an audience of, you know, let's say 200 women, because 95% of the people who buy our certification training at the Institute for the Psychology of Eating tend to be women. Um, and now I just target them. So it keeps being women, you know, like, um, is, uh, is like, we will do, we do a, one of our more popular talks is women, food and sex. And we'll do that. And we'll ask the audience of, you know, 35 to 55 women, about over half the audience will say they're never orgasmed, like never actually orgasmed. Um, so when you, I mean, it's, I, I have craved an ice cream after an orgasm, but it's less likely, like it's less likely when, you know, like you're like, like the, the amount of sensation and overwhelm that, uh, a good overwhelm that can occur will tend to reduce the attachment to the food because the food is not just serving as food. It's serving as maybe mother energy or maybe like unmet sexual desire energy. And so taking the food away or trying to change someone's diet without addressing that is going to be ineffective. Hmm. They'll, they'll go to something else. Um, we probably need to wrap up kind of soon. Oh no, we're not too bad. I what, time do you, what time do you got to be out of here? Well, this is my house. Oh so yeah. I'm right. What time offended. do you have to be, be, in, be in here? <laughs> um, uh, I could go another 20 minutes. All right. Perfect. Yeah, I am maybe. curious for people that are listening that are having issues with orgasms. Yes. Is there any kind of guidance on, quick on tips. that? Yeah. Where's the quick tips? Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> it starts at the very beginning. Um, so male and female orgasms are very different. Um, I am not an expert in sexuality though. I plan on eventually being one. So I want to first name that. 
Um, Tantra has been a huge part of my life. So like, because I was homeschooled, because that happened in high school, like I, I was, I didn't touch sexuality or anything relating to that till like my twenties. So I was very late to the game and then it just mm. gets awkward, you know, cause you're like, I remember the first time I kissed a guy, I was like, I've never done this. I'm like 18 years old in college. And he like, thinks it's going to be a one night stand. And I'm like, no, the kissing thing. <laughs> like, it was just so bad. <laughs> was just, he's like, yes. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I've never done this. And I'm like, I mean, lip to lip, you know, like it was just awkward. And so what I do, because this is my nature, I don't like to ask for help. I don't like to, which I'm, I'm working on because apparently it's not hot. Um, but I don't, so I like went and started getting education in sexuality through like Tantra, which it's hard for me to recommend any particular teacher around that, but that can be a great place to start like the yoga of it and, um, relating to sexuality more as like a sacred practice. Um, it depends on why someone's inorgasmic. So it's not uncommon for someone who eats a low fat diet or is very heavy on food restriction to literally not be able to orgasm because they're subclinically fat deficient. Like if you think mm. about like our sexuality, like there's no way that nature wants to get pregnant when we're underweight and neurotic. Like it's just like, this is not good for the species. Right. So it's not uncommon for women to have right. like complete decline in sex drive. I was like this, like I had, I mean, I, I, in my attempts to look sexy and like lose weight and feel confident in my body, I lost all sex drive. So talk about irony. So I, I you can look at dietary aspects, um, you know, self-pleasuring, I think for a lot of people, uh, is like, like, I don't know what to do, but it's a great way to start. Um, and there's many different, uh, you know, techniques and, and things around that sacred spot work, um, for women it's intervaginal. So it's a, it's a, it's, uh, essentially the G spot, they call it the sacred spot, but up inside, um, massage on that area. The way that I've been trained around that is you do three 45 minute sets. Like there's body massage and you set intentions about what you want to release and what you want to bring in more of. And then, um, you, it goes from the body massage to internal massage. And a lot of women report not only releasing a lot of trauma, like, cause there's like, cause you know, different parts of your body hold memories and store things. And depending on what your life has been like, um, things maybe not so pleasant have happened down there. Mm. And so having just loving touch without the intention to orgasm, but just like loving touch consistently can make a huge difference. Um, it can also help people become more in their body. Like sometimes you have to release stuff before you can feel stuff for men. That is actually it's rectal. So it's, it's, uh, it's in the, um, I'm like, what words can I say on the this poop pod? shoot? It's in the poop shoot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you um, can say anything, anything. Not anything. Yeah. I, I can say anything, but I also like go to school and like have, have, have this like, as far as this audience goes, <laughs> I just had like a moment of being okay. like, is this on the internet? Yeah. <laughs> Cause it feels very comfortable. We're sitting in my living room. So I had a moment of like That's forgetting that I was, be yeah, it's really manipulative. Good. good. Um, <laughs> glad that you're picking that up. I feel very manipulative. I'm not going to make eye contact anymore because I feel like you're making me say perfect. So there's practices. I mean, there's, uh, there is like stroking practices where, you know, um, uh, so I find practices for people who have challenged around sexuality, at least for me, that's been really helpful because a lot of times when someone's not orgasmic and someone's like, okay, I'm going to make you orgasm. It's like, what? You know, like there's pressure around it. So there's different types of touch, but touch on a regular basis, 
agendaless touch mm. can be huge. Um, and I, uh, and I'm talking about touch with the hand. I'm not anti vibrators, but the challenge with vibrators is that a lot of times uh, most women can orgasm, like a lot of women, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of women can only orgasm with a vibrator. Um, but a vibrator is a very intense, high frequency. And so you can have your body acclimate to that. Right. So then you can lose the ability to like your poor, your poor partner or someone's going to be like, I'm, I'm wildly ineffective. And it's like, yeah, cause you're not buzzing at a hundred. Like you're like, you're not, you, you can't keep up with this machine. Um, so, and, and the same thing with men, you know, a lot of men have, it's, it's amazing how many men have a challenge with orgasming with real women because they're porn consumption. So for men, I look at porn consumption and, and a lot of times men too get very used to a habitual way of masturbating. Right. So like, I know how I like it, like four hard strokes, but it's like, you know, like there's, there's an inability people like lose their flexibility when they habitually orient around like orgasming in a particular way relating to certain visuals. So I might suggest going off pornography for a while or not like masturbating for men without orgasming, you know, like learning how, which can be very painful if they don't know how to do that. So they have to learn some breath work to bring the energy back up. But a lot of men like use it as a release when they could actually use it at, to bring more energy in. Right. Um, and so, uh, and also how much they're doing it, how aggressively they're doing it. And I often find is that the pornography has to get more and more and more extreme. And it's unbelievable because I also worked in the, the camps ages eight to 18 how much pornography 16, 17, eight-year-old boys were consuming and how over time it just had to get more and more extreme. Some of them were the real girl who has like bumps and needs and like, <laughs> like all this other stuff. They're just like not hot, can't relate to it. And it's creating more and more separation as opposed to like, I'm learning something that I'm bringing back to my partner kind of thing. Um, the other thing is a lot of guys just don't know how to pleasure a woman. And a lot of women don't know how to give instructions in a way that aren't demasculate, isn't demasculating. They're like, not there. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> the guy's like, you, <laughs> you know, like, so I think, I mean, and right now we're obviously talking about, well, no, I don't know if we're obviously, but it seems like we're talking more about heterosexual relationships, which is what I have experience in. So if anybody's offended by that, I'm just going to name that that's what I'm talking about in this moment. But a lot of the pain around sexuality comes from that like inability to talk and communicate about it. So I recommend for people to like for self-pleasuring, set up a practice, like just like you would like a yoga practice. Like I can't do this asana. So I'm going to like keep stretching and playing. And if you're in a relationship, like setting aside time to play agendaless play, like let's see what you actually do. Like let's mm. touch this. Let's like with this context of like not getting it right or not being sexy, but just kind of exploring um, because I think that from there it's, I mean, uh, my experience is that uh, women are wildly different. Like when I, you know, break bread with my girlfriends and they share what they like, I'm like, I would kill somebody if they did that to me, <laughs> like, you right. know? Um, but we don't have those open conversations because everybody's so different. Is there some means like inside information for men on how to pleasure a woman? Um, inside information well whatever just yeah, some I mean, type I think, of i think i think buildup is important for most women mm. like anticipation and buildup like some kind of like not just going for the whole is really helpful <laughs> you'd be surprised it's like sports they're like they're like they're like five four three two one you're naked enter like you know like i think there's which is understandable like i actually have empathy i mean i have empathy for men when it comes to women's sexuality because there's not a lot of information or education about it a lot of women don't even know right they're just like right. this isn't working and the guy's like aren't you supposed to know your own plumbing you know kind of thing uh 
Um, I think more women are capable of having clitoral orgasms and vaginal orgasms, so no external stimulation. Um, a lot of guys are like, why isn't she doing anything? I'm pumping, you know? Uh, most, most people do well with variety. Like, I think a lot of us can get into like, especially, uh, you know, a man, he's like, I'm in, I know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, like pause and break for a second, like try something different, uh, and ask questions, you know, like I, I think it's, I think it's fascinating to me how wildly, you know, open a lot of people I know are, are around sexuality, but can't talk about it. Right. You know, so building up the muscle to have a conversation about it, like after be like, what did you like? Like, oh, did you like that? Or, and then also women need to be honest. Like a lot of women aren't honest around it. And a lot of people I find in relationships also use sex is leverage. And I, I, I have a very strong, I mean, we do a lot of relationship counseling in, at the Institute because so often like sexuality and relationship, we now have an advanced relationship training, like to train our practitioners and how to work with people's relationships because so many of the food challenges, like I get in a fight with my husband, I couldn't say it. So I went and I did, you know, like learn, helping people be able to express what's true for them and communicate is really effective in all areas of their life. But it's remarkable how much it has an impact on our relationship with food. Mm. And so the more you can have conversations around it and play around it, um, the better. Maybe you read a book together. You're like on a long road trip and get a book on tape and then like pause and be like, what do you think about that? And he's like, that sounds whack and I never want to do it. You know, like the, just, just inviting a conversation so you can get to know each other. Because hmm. we all have wildly different erotic themes. We all have like very different needs in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm sure if I like wanted to type it at some point, like there might be like 12, but I don't know. But it, I'm, I'm constantly surprised when I invite the conversation, what arises? Hmm. You ever meet uh, Jaya? She lives out here in Boulder. She's a sex therapist, sexologist, sex expert, sex expert. All the words. That sounds horrendous. I'm not sure. <laughs> she probably resents all of those terms. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jaya. I have not met Jaya. Okay, she has a thing called the the blueprints, where I think it's kind of like oh, what cool. you're you're describing. I just did yeah. a thing with her yesterday. She's like a dear friend. Oh, fun. So um, yeah, there's I have like two other episodes with her. People can maybe refer back to. Yeah. And then tune into your whatever yeah. you come up with probably in the next. Three, yeah. to three to four years. Yeah, it's my next first year. <laughs> and I'm sure I'll make some career out of it because I tend to monetize my passions. But it's new, it's new for me, honestly, in a lot of ways. Like the Institute took over my life for like seven years. I worked like, people think I'm exaggerating. I worked like 90 hour weeks, usually 100. Like, I mean, it was, we reach millions and millions of people. And I, I always was like, when I had, was in the height of my eating disorder, I was like, if I get out, I'm going to help others get out. And now I feel like I've done that. And I feel like we're training people and the machines operating and we're having impact in the way that's important. And in a lot of ways I'm on to, I'm still running that full time, but on to kind of new frontiers for myself. Why did it take 10 years? Uh, well the eating disorder. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I dated a lot of really awesome men during that. <laughs> Why did it take 10 years? That's a really good question. I mean, it wasn't 10 years of the exact same things. I mean, there was many right. different iterations. I think, you know, I was, I was pretty clearly eating disorder free for the most part, not psychologically. Like I wasn't doing any of the behaviors when I met at the time who became my husband and, um, our relationship was very challenging for me in certain ways and his, the way that he left was very traumatic. So it set me, it, I shouldn't say it set me back, but it definitely triggered old behaviors for a while. And then I'd have a respite for six months and then something like, so there was, 
there was a lot of factors. There was also a lot of physical changes. So the challenge with bulimia, and I was extreme. I mean, I at, at the height of it, I was purging 60, 70 times a day. Whoa. While working 12 hours a day. So I, my life was like work. And then this was when I like back on the East Coast when I ran these different programs. And so my life was like work and eating disorder and trying to like figure it out. There wasn't a lot. I mean, that's part of why I share so openly and why the Institute, I poured so much into it is because I couldn't find information to help me. Hmm. Like so much of what was available was like eat this way or do this or like maybe go see a talk therapist and they would be like, it looks like you have a control issue. And I'm like, yeah, very smart. Like, thank you for that wildly perceptive like insight. Like, (laughs) I want to hurt you. You know, like there wasn't a lot available and there wasn't a lot of people talking in a language I could understand. Um, And so different things helped along the way, like uh, when I got heavily into meditation and Kundalini yoga, but then like, you know, so it was a lot and I am, I've been eating disorder free now for like any behaviors around it for, let's see, probably like five or six years, but it took me, it wasn't until like two years ago that I really felt mentally clear of it. Like it was extremely hard for me to not sit across from someone and calculate the calories on the meal. Like, right. like I, to, or to like constantly be like, and I still have remnants of the body image stuff, but the challenge with bulimia, especially with purging that much is that even when you stop the behaviors, I was in crippling digestive pain for two and a half years because my body wasn't used to digesting food. Right. So even when I was eating well, I wasn't reaping the benefits. Like even when I was eating disorder free, I felt like I was going to die every day. So it was, it was hard to not want to throw up the food at that point, not because I had an eating disorder like desire, but because I was in incredible pain. So I had to believe that I could repair my digestive system and my digestive system is definitely still sensitive. Like there are certain foods I just avoid, like, because I can't do them, but overall, like I can eat, I can, I mean, I travel all the time and that was like a big thing. I wanted to be able to travel uh, and go and not have like a suitcase full of food. Like I wanted to be normal again. But I think part of what was so hard about my eating disorder is that Every time I got to the place where I was like kind of normal, I still felt like shit. I, I still was in a ton of pain. I still didn't like my body. And so life didn't just get better when the behavior stopped, um, which I think is pretty common. And a lot of people talk about it. It's kind of like when you come off, like people talk about like juice cleanses. And in my experience, it's not the juice cleanse that's so hard. It's the transition out of it, you right. know, like, um, and so that was, that was me. And it kept sending me back in and out and. I was joking, but I did. I made some pretty poor relational choices. And for me, usually they're like, I don't, heartbreak is hard one for me. And it tends to send me into kind of old patterns around things. Hmm. Um, And at that point, the way that I coped or knew to cope, like I've never been a drug addict or alcohol. Like I never, I used to, I actually called my parents in my mid twenties and I was like, thank you for being so strict around food growing up because I have an eating disorder. I'm not a heroin addict. And they were like, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, okay, honey, talk to us later, you know? Cause at the time the boy, the guy I was uh, seeing was a recovering heroin addict. And, uh, and so I had this like insight of like, Oh, this is my drug. Like I didn't quite get it. I thought it was just like, I have a weird relationship with food, but like I, I, it was a very much a drug for me Mm -hmm. and I don't need drugs anymore because I have now 55 certifications (laughs) and I, but I, I was messed up and I had to do a lot of work, Mm. a lot. Are there any, this is probably the last, last 
thought this we have so time fun, for. Though. Good, I appreciate yeah, that. That's I'm the so whole glad. point. That's what I was saying. It's just a couple I girls no just idea. shooting the shit. Yeah, you're We're a great girlfriend. <laughs> Perfect. You're such a good girlfriend. Perfect. I had no idea. <laughs> I appreciate that. I was like, oh, you're going to ask me about my uh, workout regime. That's going to be awkward. No, zero percent. Nope, like, don't care. <laughs> nope, thank you. Don't care. Push ups, do don't care. <laughs> Yeah, those are hard. I do like three a month. Um, is there any uh, work working from the inside with food itself? If a person is having an eating disorder of you know whatever whatever it may be of actually like choosing different types of foods. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like it's I mean sugar, you know, flour for certain people is like you know intense. Like and for most people actually, I think if you're and so. Um, there are definitely like, I, so like even now, like I notice, like when I go out to Thai food, which tends to have, a, I love Thai food, but Thai food tends to have a lot of sweetener in the sauces and stuff like yeah. that. Like I can feel after that I immediately want ice cream. You know what I mean? Like for me, sometimes mm. I, I'm okay to be in that. Like I, at this point in my life, I'm okay to be in it. Cause I know I'm going to go have the ice cream and I'll be done. It used to be that if I go have that ice cream, you're going to find me at the gas station at 2 a.m. buying all the ice creams in that section that are like oh. two for five. Like I, I knew that about myself. Like there was trigger foods. It's interesting because I, I initially when I finally figured out that my food issue wasn't just a nutritional issue, I went to OA and FA, which are Food Addicts Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous. And they propose like uh, I don't know if they still do this, but a decade ago, they promoted a very austere diet like a super like no salt and no sugar and like steamed broccoli and chicken breast. And like, to me, the diet was the perfect di diet. Like if I wanted to make you a binge eater, I would give you that diet. Yeah. It sounds like it. Yeah. So it's like, it's so, and, and there's different people that really, I think it's like an exploration of how you relate to food. So I do better with, uh, like really tasty food, but in a certain, like a certain kind, like I eat a very high fat diet. A lot of people don't do well. Like I eat a very high fat diet. I saw the butter on the table. Yeah, I eat I a like, lot. Oh. I eat a lot of butter. I so, almost sneak, sneak some while you were. I was like, that'd be. Probably, totally. It's too soon. <laughs> so I yeah. <laughs> Need your butter. <laughs> yeah, we're not there yet. Not there yet. Take <laughs> <laughs> a while. Um, <laughs> though I do feel closer to you after I've shared everything about myself. I Good. don't know anything about Perfect. you, which is actually common. If you want no. people, if you want people to feel close to you, ask them questions about themselves. I realize that you've the you dug deep into me yesterday. I actually. did. I tried. Deepish. Yeah. I, no, yeah. I did my best. I was yeah, like, you what's got, wrong with you? you? In there. It was good. good I almost but, cried. Yeah. I felt my calf tighten up. Remember? <laughs> it was so funny. He's like, he's like I, my calf's clenching, so there must be something there. And We're I'm on like, to some good shit. I'm like, that's well an done. interesting way to name what's going on for you. But I yeah. am in. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, yes. I do think a lot of people, like, I mean, I have people come to me like, I'm a binge eater. And I, then they tell me, they're like, in the morning, I have a coffee with like a bagel. And then at lunch, I have a salad with fat-free dressing. And then I go home and I eat the whole house. I'm like, I would eat the whole fucking house if that's what I ate. So a lot of times people name themselves as having a disorder or an eating disorder when it's actually nutritional. Mm. Like they're actually like eating a crap diet or they're eating artificial sweeteners and it's triggering sweet cravings later. So like... I always, depending on the person, like we, so we train people to start where it's easiest. So for some people, their relationship with food, starting with changing their diet freaks them the heck out. Mm. But I absolutely think that there are certain ways of eating that for certain people can perpetuate a more disordered relationship with food. And I, and now because I'm healthier mentally and physically, I play with that. So I'll be like, I'm going to try eating like a super high carb diet for three days and see how whack I feel, you know? Um, 
and for other people they'll feel that way and they, they metabolize it super quickly and they feel really great. And like, I don't know how much is my system or how much is the fact that for years I dieted on fat-free carbohydrates. So I don't know if the fact that I crave a lot of protein and fat now is like the pendulum swinging from 10 years of not having that, hmm. or if that's like just how my body always would have done better. But I really encourage people to experiment as much as possible. And, and it's like the same thing with sexuality. Like we get so heavy handed and we get so in this sense of like, if I eat this way, I have to eat this way forever. It's like, no, you don't. You have to do it for today or like a week or something like that. So I'm really big on the context of like play and experimentation as a way to kind of figure out. But, um, yeah. And, and I'll say one last thing about that. Like I, I like to throw out the rules like forever and ever because I have, you know, I went to nutrition school. I had to like, you have to eat breakfast. I've never in my life been hungry in the morning. I hate breakfast. Right. I, I've oh, it's always felt like I'm force feeding myself and it always feels like I actually trigger more hunger for myself, but I didn't trust my body because of the science and the research and stuff like that. I don't eat my first meal till like the middle of the day. I also eat later at night. I'm also a night person. So like most people be like never eat after like 8 PM or 6 PM or whatever. And I like, because I don't eat like breakfast until often like noon or one o'clock I eat at nine o'clock. It works great for me. Hmm. So I just really encourage people to learn how to listen to their body first and then really see how they feel. Like, do they wake up feeling groggy? Do they have less energy? Things like that. Yeah. It seems like consistency is really important for the body. I think so. I think, I think we do better with consistency. I think it's the same thing with like parenting. You know, it's like, I think structure, a little structure can be helpful. I mean, we, we have to, I think the one thing like that's interesting about nutrition, I think about a lot, or even just how we are as humans is our biology has absolutely not cut up with the way that we live. Right. Like, you know, like I think about growing up without a cell phone, you know, like there, and how different my nervous system is now because I have two cell phones and I run three companies and I'm constantly on it and like, and, and, and how that's probably affecting my nervous system and the food choices I make and all this stuff. So I like to kind of go back to the basics and be like, okay, well we used to live in a time when, <laughs> and a lot of times like those, that, those roots are, are a good place to come home to if you're so confused about what to do. And there are so many newfangled things out there and everybody's hacking left and right and get confusing and overwhelming. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, it was so good for me. Was it I good for you? It. <laughs> it was great. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking my pants off right yeah. now. You <laughs> guys find me on Facebook. It's where all my relationships start. How do people find more of your stuff? Psychologyofeating.com is the Institute. Mm. So psychology spelled with a P folks. Um, I've had people like, email like, I looked everywhere. And I'm like, how are you psychology? <laughs> um, psychology Align's one of those words too. That's embarrassing. Yes. People be like, Oh cool. The A L I G H N. I'm like, Nope, that's <laughs> no, not. Totally. Yeah. I'm sorry. Keep looking. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Emily, he didn't even ask me my name, which is super rude. My name is Emily Joy <laughs> Rosen. Yes. That's my given middle name. I just haven't lived in Boulder so long that I've adopted some spiritual name. No, Emily Same. Joy Rosen. Um, I, I like social media, so I spend a lot of, you don't spend a lot of time on Facebook. You're an Instagram person, but Instagram I don't work person. out. So I'm much more into Facebook. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I try and avoid those photographs. Um, no, I, uh, so Emily Rosen on Facebook, I share a lot of stuff. I, I'm a poet essentially like in my free time. I love writing and cool. I love hearing from people. 
So, I, and I also have a website, emilyjoyrosen.com, but I don't spend a lot of time there. Facebook and Instagram, actually. I love it. Yeah. You don't use Instagram, but you still have like eight million, actually, 8 million more followers I than I do. I do have more followers. How dare you? I checked before I did your podcast. I was like, I just want to make sure I have leverage. <laughs> just make sure. No, I, I do use Instagram a, a lot. I just, I, I'm more likely to respond to a Facebook message than an Instagram message because like Instagram messenger is like a place for scary stuff. Mm. I find. I, I like know. scary stuff. Yeah. I find it endearing. Yeah, but you're like a six foot four male. Right. Um, (laughs) I'm a five foot four female. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Well, it was lovely not meeting all of you. (laughs) (laughs) This may be one of the most awkward endings I've had to any podcast ever. It's not the first time. I think this is going down in history. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on this show. I feel very alive. All right, let's end the recording before we say anything. All right, bye. Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning into that conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Some ways that you can support this podcast, one of which you can pick up an aligned band, which is a heavy duty resistance band, comes along with a door anchor and a carrying case, and a video guide on how to mobilize those joints and integrate that body of yours. Really great stuff. You can be found at aligntherapy.com and also on amazon.com. Thank you also so much for utilizing the Amazon affiliate link on the right-hand sidebar of the podcast page. Bookmark that thing. Anytime you purchase some crap on Amazon, purchase that crap through that link. We get a percentage of it. Costs you nothing. And I think that's enough. Thank you guys so much for reviews on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Pow.